What's going on, Hardliners? <laughs> What's going on, Hardliners? Welcome. Not sure if you knew this, but we're in a war. Against an evil faction that just won't quit. But little do they know, with Christ Jesus in our heart, we will win this war because this is the Lord's fight. We are firm, we're steadfast, and we're uncompromising. As it states in Joshua 1.9, I command you, be strong and steadfast. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Welcome to His Hard Line. Let's get started. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm happy to be here, happy to have you here. It is Thursday, March 24th, 2022. My goodness gracious, we are almost past the first quarter of 2022. What shall we do? The world keeps going. Things keep getting crazier. But just remember, use prayer and use discernment. Ask God for that discernment to be able to figure out what is BS and what's not. Um, it's a very hard thing to, to figure out, I know. Um, but here's the thing, you know, it can be done. It's hard, but it can be done. So, there's that. Um, welcome to His Hard Line. And today, we're going to be having a discussion. Today's discussion is called The United States in Two Forms. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, yesterday, or not yesterday, two days ago, I had put out a uh, Tuesday His Hard Line discussion because... Um, for some of any, you know, for some of you that are new to this podcast, um, let me just introduce myself briefly, real quick. Um, I was thinking about doing another reintroduction because I had so many issues and technical problems with Podbean that I actually lost the first week's worth of my podcast um, episodes from the very first week I started. Which I guess not a huge deal because those were the ones that I was still kind of working out my nervousness out of and. Um, you know, there wasn't really many downloads for them. I mean, actually, there was. Actually, I shouldn't really say that because there was actually a lot of downloads for those. Um, but I'm Jason. Um, Jason Jones from Michigan. And I'm part of my county assembly, which I will leave that. Uh, I will leave that qu uh, quiet just because of, uh, you know, uh, privacy purposes and anonym anonymity to a degree. Um I am part of the state assembly, and I couldn't be more proud. The Michigan General Jural Assembly is something that, and, and I know pride is one of the seven deadly sins, but if I can say I'm proud, I hope this can hopefully disqualify itself from being part of those seven deadly sins. But if I can say that I am proud of something, like I'm proud of the daughter that my wife and I are raising. You know, she's turning out to being such a sweet little girl for being five and a half years old. 
and you know she's still a kid can kids become you know kids are kids but when you put her side by side with other people uh, other kids her age and again not to try to compare because nobody should ever compare but i'm just talking in a general broad sense of behavior and manners we're always getting complimented and and i think that is more of a huge uh testament to my wife because my wife homeschools she's with her all the time my wife does a fantastic job with our daughter so i'm proud of, not only of my daughter but i'm proud of my wife and just like i'm proud of the assemblies i'm proud of what michigan I'm, I'm proud that michigan was the first state first off i'm originally from i claim i'm originally from wisconsin but i used to live in new jersey for 12 years i lived in florida for uh six ish five six years ish Right around there, maybe, yeah, six or seven. I can't even remember, to be honest with you. Lived a short stint in Indiana and Texas, and I traveled the nation for a job that I used to do when I was a marketing director for a, uh, a company that worked in the fitness industry. And so I traveled all over the nation. But I am proud to be a Michigander. I'm proud of what Michigan has done. The people on the ground level, like Destry and Paul, and the many others that I honestly don't even know all their names. And forgive me for that if you're listening to that. I am very thankful for all those men and women on the ground level when this started way back in 2011. And then it became a, you know, it, it, things started really gaining momentum in 2013. In 2013, when everything was going on, you know, I was in Florida when, you know, Michigan really started rolling forward here with their public notice and getting assembled and you know and it's amazing how God works and how God moves and I never thought in a million years I'd ever move back up to the Midwest because like I said I used to live in Wisconsin and I absolutely could not stand the cold I actually liked Florida I couldn't stand all the traffic because I was in south south Florida you know the melting pot of the country down there I mean next to LA I guess but so anyway I am just very ecstatic to seeing what is happening in the assemblies, to be able to discuss things that are going to be happening and that are happening in the assemblies. And like I mentioned, there are some things I can't really quite say uh, yet. Um, the assembly members, though, that <laughs> in my county is funny. Uh, and Karen, I, I got your text. <laughs> I apologize for not getting actually back to you sooner. But um, and I'll, I'll text you back later. But, you know, the people that are in the assemblies, obviously, you know, it's it's just, you know, Obviously, I'm sure the, some things can be shared among assembly members, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, things still have to stay, I guess, kind of hush-hush because we're at such a delicate, I don't want to even say delicate because delicate might be the improper word. We're in such a critical stage, <clears throat> it seems like, and I've always thought this even before I joined the assemblies, We, because you can just feel it. You could feel it in the air. You know, you could feel it in your bones and in the pit of your soul. And it, I've always knew this before the assemblies. Like I always knew we were a country adrift because of everything that's gone on. And so today we're going to talk about how the United States existed and exists in two forms. Yes, exists with a, a plural with an S. But before I get into that, I just want to say, you know, read a quick excerpt out of uh, Hebrews chapter eleven that I kind of ran across that I really liked. Nothing long, but it reads this. Um, the subtitle of it was called The Faith of the Ancients, but this, uh, it's only, it's a verse 11, or excuse me, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1 through 3. 
And I absolutely love this. And I think you guys might really like this too. It's one of those quotes or one of those verses that you want to just write down in your in your gratitude journal or your prayer journal or whatever you use to write. And I encourage writing too, because writing is so important. On top of reading a chapter a day every day, when I you know, when I'm at work in the Bible, I have my gratitude journal with me always. And every morning the first two things that I write is Good morning, Heavenly Father. Thank you for another day of life and good health for myself, for my wife, and for our daughter. And thank you for the gift of work. And thank you for giving me an able body to complete that work so I can take care of myself and my family and others in need. And then I think of other things that I'm grateful for. And then just whatever comes to my mind is what I write. And sometimes they're Bible verses. Sometimes they're cool quotes that I come across that I really enjoy. Well, here's one of them. Again, this is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Faith is the realization of what is hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Because of it, the ancients were well attested. By faith, we understand that the universe was ordered by the word of God, so that what is visible came into being through the invisible. I absolutely love that verse, those verses. And um, it just, you know, just by what it, especially in that verse three, by faith, we understand that the universe was ordered by the word of God. And again, it just goes to show you just another little example of how important words are because the word preceded everything in this world. It precedes light even. God's word was the first thing that existed in which everything else had manifested into reality. It goes back to the very principles on how, you know, you can't unring a bell, which is why you should be very careful in how you choose your words. This is kind of a conversation actually I had with our priest last night. We got on this topic of the power of words, and he goes, yeah, but remember, you know, there's that old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. He goes, you know, words, do words really hurt you? Because, you know, uh, you know, somebody could say something really, you know, somebody could slander me and say all sorts of bad things and, you know, not bother me. I'm like, well, that may be true in a certain sense. And, but as I said, at the same time, though, in what context are these words being used? How shallow are they? Because people, as we know, throw words in general, people throw words around like they throw skipping stones across the river. It's just something that they do. It's nothing that has any type of real meaning behind it. There's no substance behind the actions. There's no other intentionalities behind it, right? And so I told him, I'm like, you know, yeah, that phrase is true. And although I will agree with you to some point, like someone could say all they want about me. I don't care. You think I'm an idiot? That's fine. You think my voice sounds very annoying to you? That's cool. I mean, hey, whatever. You Oh, you want to say that I look like a big pencil neck? Okay, that's fine. Yes, that was my nickname in high school. Somehow that got brought up. Thanks to my wife. Thank you, babe. Love that. But, you know, here's the thing, though. You know, these things that people say, I guess it depends on the relationship and the rapport you have with that individual, right? Like, so somebody comes up to you and says, that's a stranger, right? And they say, well, you're just a stupid idiot. And I'd look at him like, yeah, so are you. Get out of my face. 
Now, I know that's not Christly, right? I know it's not Christ-like, but again, I'm just being real, okay? I'm not, I'm not going to sit up here and put up a fake front and say, oh, well, I forgive you for what you say. No, like, yeah, eventually I will be like, well, that guy just didn't know any better. But in the moment, I'm like, yeah, so are you. Get out of my face. But now if you had that same comment said to you by somebody that you, like, like, like say, a grandmother that you really love and adore, right, and that you respected, and and there's a certain context behind it, right? And your grandmother came up and said, you are a really stupid person. You'd look at your grandmother and be like, whoa, like, what did I do that made her want to say that? See, um, see what I mean? Like, it's such a dumb comment, right? Like, you're a stupid person, right? Like, kids say that all the time. Well, you're stupid. No, you're stupid. But, like, it just depends. Where is it coming from? What are What's the syntax or the context, Right? So words are so very important, which is why we need to watch them always and how we talk about, you know, how we use these words. Because words, I mean, I forgot where I heard this from. But somebody said, if you take the S out of sword, you got word. I mean, yeah, it's a play on words, but if you think about it, you take the S off of sword and you have word, thus giving you a very sharp weapon what are swords typically made out of steel so steel it begins with the letter s steel steel sword swords right so that's a physical weapon words are verbal weapons big big time verbal weapons that's why they say words cut deeper than any weapon out there that's why they say the pen is mightier than a sword so yeah words have a lot of uh, important meaning so I had to disagree with him on that. I'm like, no, I'm sorry, but you know, words really are important. And then we rounded back and we somehow we circled back, like circled back Jenny Saki. We circled back to that conversation again about words. And I had to press my my point across more. And I did it in a very respectful fashion. I did. I wasn't trying to be argumentative, but I was trying to draw the point across to him. Like, I know he is ordained and he's a priest, but you know, to me, I don't want to say that doesn't mean anything because clearly he went to school for a very long time. And although I do respect the academics that are required for him to become ordained, if you will. And, you know, I mean, he, he, he did his studies and, you know, and I love the guy to death. I mean, he's, you know, he's 41 years old, awesome guy. Um, you know, he tells funny jokes. I mean, he's, he's just like another guy. He's, he's like another man. Like if he drank, like, you know, if he was a beer drinker, he's just the type of guy to sit down and have a few drinks with. He's a good dude. But, you know, just because he's a man of the cloth and, you know, he's ordained doesn't make him all knowing and, you know, all understanding of everything. Because like all men and women, we will never understand and know all things. And so I had to kind of press my point a little bit further. And I'm like, no, words, words are very, very important. You should know that, especially as a priest. But, you know, I digress. But let's get into this uh, history a little bit here about the United States existing in two forms, because this is very important. And a lot of people don't really realize this because there's still so many people out there that are that are asleep on this subject. All right. And again, this ties back into the assemblies <clears throat> and why they're so relevant. OK, now, the United States, the original United States was in an operation, um, was in operation all the way up until 1860. And then, um, and then what had happened was a collection of sovereign republics. Uh, th so let me, let me back up a little bit. So the United States that was in operation until 1860 was comprised of um, a collection of sovereign republics in the Union. 
Now, under the original Constitution, the states controlled the federal government and the federal government did not control the states and they actually had very little authority. Now, that is in the first form, the form that we have to get back to. Now, the second form that it's in is now, so the original United States, and if you haven't been awake by now and see this for yourself, but the United States has been usurped by a separate and different different United States. And when I say a different United States, I am speaking in the one that is capitalized all throughout capital N U, you know, U N I T E D capital S capital T capital A capital T capital E capital S. So a different United States formed in 17 or 1871, which only controls the district of Columbia in its territories. And it is actually a corporation. So when you have an entity that has a name in all capitals, it's technically now considered a corporation. And it acts, and that corporation acts as our current government. Make no mistake, that's not our rightful government. Now, the United States corporation operates under corporate, commercial, public law rather than common or private law. Okay. It's very important. Now, the original Constitution was never removed when this had happened, but rather it's been sitting dormant for, you know, since, well, 1871. But it's still intact to this day. In fact, the fact was made clear, actually, by the Supreme Court Justice Marshall Harlan in a court case of Downs versus Bidwell. Um, I want to say it was back in 1901. by giving the following dissenting opinion, and he quotes, two national governments exist, one to be maintained under the Constitution with all its restrictions, and and the other to be maintained by Congress outside and independently of that instrument, end quote. That's interesting that a Supreme Court justice back in 1901 gave recognition to that. I'm going to read that again. Two national governments exist, one to be maintained under the Constitution, the true Constitution, by the way, with all its restrictions, and the other to be maintained by Congress outside and independently of that instrument. Now, to restore the America plan, which reclaims the de jure institutions of government of all 50 state republics in order to restore common law that represents the voice of the people and will actually end the corporate law that ignores the voice of the people while operating under maritime admiralty international law. Now, remember, I talked about this in a previous show. If you go back in previous episodes, you'll see, um, for those of you that want to kind of hear, you know, some previous episodes, I talk about maritime law, then I talk about common law, then I talk about the, you know, grand juries belonging to the people and what, you know, the late Justice Antonin Scalia has discussed. Go back and listen to those. Um, Now, this occurred when warrants were delivered to all 50 governors on March 30th, 2010. Hmm, that's pretty cool. Now, let's get a little further here. Now, if you're wondering where I'm getting this information, let me be very transparent here. I'm not that smart, okay? Let me just put that out there. I'm a pretty smart guy, but I'm not this smart to be able to have all this at the top of my head. Where I'm getting this information is the national hyphen assembly.net website. I'm not pulling this off of Google. I'm not pulling this out of my, you know, where this is actually information off of the national hyphen assembly.net site. 
poke around. That's all I do is poke around. Now I got this, I believe, off of Alaska's General Journal Assembly um, page. Uh, when I was talking with Destry the other day, he encouraged me. He goes, go on there. He goes, you know, look at different things. And he forwarded me something that I'm going to be reading next week, Tuesday, that he sent uh, that, not he, but the Alaskan General Journal Assembly sent uh, the contract services administrator, a.k.a. the acting governor, Michael Dunleavy of Alaska. Um, they sent him some orders. And I'm going to read that to you next week. I want to make sure that I hold up my 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 end um, because uh, Destry was gracious enough and actually i just i couldn't believe it actually when i read it, i was like wow but he was gracious enough to share that with me and i made a promise to him that i would wait because i want to allow enough days for obviously for michael dunleavy to read what he is received what he has received from the alaskan general general assembly and then obviously to, to have a few more days to actually respond to it in some form whatever that form is i don't know but i just want to just hold up my end of the promise and so i'm going to break that um next week tuesday now, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Now, the rewritten Constitution of the United States Corporation bypasses the original Constitution for the United States of America, which ultimately explains why our congressmen and senators don't abide by it. And the president can write executive orders to do whatever he or she, even though we haven't had a she yet, but he or she wants to do. And they're ultimately following corporate laws that completely strip sovereigns of their God-given rights, their God-given unalienable rights. So when they say, oh, well, we're acting constitutionally. No, you're not. You're acting constitutionally on the, you know, the revised version of the Constitution that you guys, you know, decided to, you know, scratch and edit. Now, corporate commercial public law is not sovereign. is also meaning private as it is an agreement between two or more parties under contract now common law which sovereigns operate under okay common law which sovereigns operate under is not commercial law it is personal and private now commercial law only applies to maritime law okay you should really do your research guys if you go on uh, brave or quant i would not recommend duck duck go because it's basically taking the foot, you know, walking in the same footsteps as Google. So good job there, DuckDuckGo. <sighs> Tell you what a man wouldn't do to sell his soul and gain the world. I tell you, I feel bad for those folks. Uh, continuing on here. All right. So now in order to understand the document, you need to understand some basic terms. Now you could find these terms. Um, I have the website. I'll have to get it again. Um, I don't have it directly in front of me. Excuse me uh, for that because I didn't prepare for that part. But I'll uh, I'll see if I can put it um, in the show notes. Now, here's some terms you should be you know understand for those of you that are new out there, okay? Because this is very important. All right, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds of different things because, like I said, like like you, I'm still learning, but I've now finally understood these, and it, there's a lot to jump into. There's a lot to learn. Clearly, and even the assembly members that have been in this longer, way longer than me, they even admit, look, we're still learning. So here, here's one common, here, here's, here's the most common term you're going to hear in the, uh, in the assemblies, de jure, D-E space, J-U-R-E, de jure. And it means existing by right or according to law, original, lawful, common law operates under de jure terms. 
de facto. In practice, but not necessarily ordained by law. In fact, in reality, corporate law operates under de facto terms. Sovereign, a real person. Sovereigns can own property while citizens slash subjects cannot. According to the original constitution, all government comes from the sovereign individual. Without the sovereign individual, there is no government. U.S. citizen slash subject. That is a corporate fictitious entity that merely represents the real person. It acts as a straw man. To call oneself a sovereign citizen or sovereign subject is an oxymoron, since sovereign and citizen subject are mutually exclusive of each other. When asked if you are a U.S. citizen on corporate legal documents, if you check yes, you agree to the terms of corporate law and unknowingly relinquish your sovereign status and transfer all of your rights to the United States Corporation since you are now under contract. Hmm. It's pretty interesting, huh? Now, a corporation, we've all heard that term a lot, right? A corporation is a non-human fictitious entity. A corporate fictitious entities are denoted in all caps. This includes the names of citizens slash subjects. Your fictitious straw man entity is addressed in all caps, i.e., like if you're John Smith, it's all capitalized rather than John Smith with just a capital J and a capital S. That's it. So if you look in your driver's license, ladies and gentlemen, your birth certificate or anything else that is government issued, you're going to notice your name is in all capital letters. That is your corporation name. That's not the name of the man or woman of the life, you know, the living flowing blood that runs through your body and soul, you know, through your body made in the image of God. Common law. Is God's law, common law, and the system of de jure juries apply to sovereigns in disputes. In common law, contracts must be entered into knowingly, voluntarily, and intentionally. Now, admiralty maritime law, or international law, and I've talked about this at great length, but I'm going to read this definition anyway. It's known as the king's law. It deals with criminal acts that only apply to international contracts. Under this law, the people are no longer sovereign. The Uniform Commercial Code, also known as the UCC, that the United States practices is based on admiralty law. Under the UCC, contracts do not have to be entered into knowingly. Simple agreements can be binding, and as long as you exercise the benefit of that agreement, you must meet the obligations associated with those benefits. Now, if you accept the benefit offered by the government, then you must follow to the letter each and every statute involved with that benefit. That benefit is the Federal Reserve notes, also known as the U.S. dollars, which, by the way, is crashing. We'll talk about that more maybe in a different show. But by paying for things with the U.S. dollars, you are knowingly giving up your all your constitutional rights and are legally obligated to follow all the UCC statutes. But you were never told this. Now, that is very interesting. Let me reread this. You need to understand this. So back to the Uniform Commercial Code that under the United States practices is based on admiralty law. Under the UCC, contracts do not have to be entered into knowingly. That's very interesting. They do not have to be entered into knowingly. Simple agreements can be binding, and as long as you exercise the benefit of that agreement, you must meet the obligations associated with those benefits. If you accept the benefit offered by the government, then you must 
follow to the letter each and every statute involved with that benefit. That benefit is the Federal Reserve note, also the U.S. dollar. By paying for things with the U.S. dollar, you are unknowingly giving up all of your constitutionally rights and are legally obligated to follow all the UCC statutes, but you were never told this. Well, how do I know what the UCC statutes are? <laughs> you won't know. You're basically making a deal with the devil by using this Babylonian money magic that we, we know it as the U.S. dollar. Listen, if you do your research and your homework, ladies and gentlemen, you'll understand the real reasons why JFK got assassinated while he got murdered. Continuing on, the word lawful, a term used in common law. Now, it's spelled a little differently here. We just talked about this at our state assembly. It's spelled L-A-W-F-U-L. I thought it needed to have two L's at the end of it, lawful, with two L's. But... Again, this, there's a lot, some corrections that need to be made on the website. Now, there's legal. Okay, so lawful is used in common law. Now, legal is a term used in the UCC, which applies to corporate law. Again, it's used under the Uniform Commercial Code. Now, what I want to get into next is to kind of talk about how the Constitution was usurped by the corporations. Now, this is a note by the Panam by Panama Legal. Now, these, and I'm reading this, where it's this is I'm reading this now too. It says these are the basic premises adhered to by the people in the movement and the and the people in the sovereign movement. The government is a corporation actually functioning as the federal government. Thus, it does not have to follow the Constitution. Also, it does not matter if Obama is not a natural born citizen, since it is a corporation he is the head of. The corporation gets the permission of the people to reign over them by deceit. This is done by wording in the birth certificate, social security cards, drivers li driving licenses, IRS forms, marriage licenses, and other documents. They always refer to the person, in quotes, in all capital letters. This means the name represents a corporate entity. This is how the corporation courts get jurisdiction over you. Their courts do not fly the real American flag. They use military or an admiralty flag. And for a discourse on this, they try. So anyway, I can give you, again, there's the, that, there's a website out there that can discuss that more in you know, further detail. Now, what the theory is goes like this. Now, when you enter a U.S. courtroom, all right, there's a military or an admiralty flag. The that, you know the flag that's got the gold for uh, the gold fringes on it. You'll see it even in, in, in you know court op, um, county offices. Like well, me and my wife got to go submit our forms and get fingerprinted unconstitutionally, I think. Um, you know to get our concealed uh, pistol license. You know our carry permit, I should say. And they had a flag in there, and it was gold fringed. So now the U.S. military does not have the protection of the Constitution, and neither does this apply to admiralty laws with ships at sea. Now, when you enter a courtroom and cross through that little wooden gate, and I've mentioned this before, if you cross that wooden gate that they have and you go into the area where the plaintiff or the prosecutor and defendant sit along with the judge, the court reporter, you are entering a ship or a foreign country as evidenced by, as evidenced by the admiralty or military flag flying, thus the Constitution has no applicability. Boy, that's a hard word for me this morning. Applicability 
and you are under equity law, not common law. The flaw with their scheme is that there is no full disclosure to the people about any of this. This is brief, oversimplified synopsis of the scam that's run by the federal corporation. It's very interesting. Now, in, in 1788, January 1, the United States became officially bankrupt. Now, in 1790, on August 4th, Article 1 of the United States Statutes at Large, pages 138 through 178, abolished the states of the republic and they created federal districts. Now, in the same year, the former states of the republic reorganized as corporations and their legislatures wrote new state constitutions, absent, defi uh, absent defined boundaries, which they presented to the people of each state for a vote. The new state constitutions fraudulently fraudulently made the people people citizens of the new corporate states. A citizen is also defined as a corporate fiction. Now, remember, if you're a citizen, you're basically ultimately an employee of the corporation, whether you know it or not. Now, in 1800, the capital was moved to Washington, D.C., a separate country. And that is not part of the United States of America. Let's make sure we're clear on that. Now, in 1845, Congress passed legislation that would ultimately allow common law to be usurped by admiralty law. Now, the yellow fringe that's placed at the bottom of the court flag shows that, you know, this is a very true statement. Now, before 1845, Americans were considered sovereign individuals who governed themselves under common law. See, that's what we need to get back to, ladies and gentlemen. We need to get back to pre, we need to get back to, you know, 1845 and beyond. And, and actually, I'll be, believe it or not, this is my own opinion. I think we need to return to 1845 in all cases. We need to get rid of technology. We need to get rid of everything. I mean, we need to get back to a simpler way of life because everything is so, so muddied and uh, it's just crazy, complicated. Now, in, in 1860, Congress was adjourned sine die, which means they adjourned without setting a date to return. And Lincoln could not legally reconvene Congress. But what had happened, though, in 1861, President Lincoln declared a national emergency and a maritime law, which ultimately gave the president unprecedented powers and removed it from the other branches. Now, this has never been reversed. Now, in 1863, the Libra Code was established, which basically takes away your property and your rights. From 1864 through 1867, several Reconstruction Acts were passed, forcing the states to ratify the 14th Amendment, which made everyone slaves. I gotta repeat that for you, ladies and gentlemen. Several Reconstruction Acts were passed, forcing the states to ratify the 14th Amendment, which made everyone slaves. How does that make you feel? This de facto government, see, listen here, anybody that's running for an office in government, whether if it's local, state, or federal, I want there to be a, a clear understanding. Because obviously these corporate, you know, these, these, these uh, elections are still going to be going on until we get where we need to be at with the assemblies. But regardless, the assemblies are still still have the control 
we just don't have our assembly. You know, we don't, we, we can't get, we don't have our de jure government seats filled yet and in place, you know, and we also need our states, you know, we need our 38 states and, you know, there's ratification that needs to be done and so on and so forth. But I just lost my train of thought. I hate when it happens, but here, here's the thing. This corporation that touts itself as the government is not our friend, ladies and gentlemen. This is why it's so very important that you need to get involved with your assemblies. There was a point I wanted to make. Gosh, I wish I knew what it was. Let me let's see here. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Anybody that's running for a government office, that's what I wanted to say. Governor, Senate, Congress, men or women, county commissioner, I don't, whatever that is. Listen, here's the thing. There's still elections, obviously, that are going to be going on. And everyone keeps talking about this red wave, red wave. Well, that's fine and dandy and all, but here's the thing. Unless you're willing to accept the orders by the people in assembly, like Michael Dunleavy is right now in Alaska, by the Alaskan General General Assembly, I have no support. For, you have no support from me. If and when you do get elected into type any type of office in government, whether if it's local, state, or federal, until you start taking orders from the assembly, the people in assembly, you have no power. Point blank. Let's continue. Now, in 1871, the United States became a corporation with a new constitution and a new corporate government. And the original constitutional government was then vacated, which became dormant. Still to this day, by the way, in some in, in some fashion. And it was, but but here's the thing. Here's the important thing. It was never terminated. Now, the new constitution had to be ratified by the people according to the original constitution, but it never was. See, that process of ratification, that's a very important process. Now, the whole process occurred behind closed doors, though. Now, the people are the source of financing for the new government, a.k.a. the corporation. Now, let's fast forward to 1917, where you have the Trading with the Enemy Act, TWEA, was passed. Now, this there there is an insightful video somewhere online. I think it was on like movielocker.com slash 4084 um, out there. But it did state, quote, this act was implemented to deal with the countries we were at war with during World War One. It gave the president and the alien property custodian the right to seize the assets of the people included in this act. And if they wanted to do business in the country, they could apply for a license to do so. Now, by 1921, the Federal Reserve Bank which is the trustee for the alien property custodian, held over $700 million in trust. Now, at that time, that was a lot of money. End quote. Now, understand that the trust was based on our assets, not theirs. So now when you fast forward to 1933, 48 Statute 1 of the TWEA was amended to include the United States person because they wanted to take our gold away. 
Executive Order 6102 was created to make it illegal for a U.S. citizen to own gold. Not a sovereign, by the way, but for a U.S. citizen to own gold. In order for the government to take our gold away and violate our constitutional rights, we were reclassified as enemy combatants for owning gold. Ladies and gentlemen, did you know that? That in 1933, it was e it was illegal. They made it illegal in their little corporate world, their little corporate structure for a citizen to own gold. Now, back in 1933, there was that second United States bankruptcy that occurred. And the first bankruptcy from the United States collateralized all public lands. Now, in the 1933 bankruptcy, the U.S. government collateralized the private lands of people via a lien. Which is why we have a lien on our property when we go out and take a mortgage for our home. They borrowed money against our private lands, ladies and gentlemen. And then they were mortgaged, which is why we pay property taxes. Do you see how this corruption goes? Do you see how deep this goes? You know what a mortgage stands for? It's a mor morgue. Like, what do you think of when you hear the word morgue? Dead people, right? That's that's where the dead get, get kept at, right? The morgue. It's a death contract. Mortgaged death contract. Now, from a speech in Congress in the bankruptcy of the United States Congressional Record, March 17th, 1993, in volume 33, page H1303, Speaker Representative James uh, Tra uh, Trafficant Jr. from Ohio addressing the House states. And he says, in quote, It is an established fact that the United States federal government has been dissolved by the Emergency Banking Act as of March 9, 1933. 48 statute 1 public law 89 through 719 declared by president roosevelt being bankrupt and insolvent hjr 192 73rd congress m session june 5th 1933 joint resolution to suspend the gold standard and abrogate the gold clause dissolved the sovereign authority of the united states and the official capac uh, capacities of all the united states government toll offices officers and departments and is further evidence that the United States federal government exists today in name only. Now the receivers of the United States bankruptcy are the international bankers via the UN, the United Nations, the World Bank and the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. Now all the United States offices, officials and departments are now operating within a de facto status in name only under emergency war powers. With that constitutional Republican form of government now dissolved, the receivers of the bankruptcy have adopted a new form of government for the United States. Now, this new form of government is known as a democracy. And I hate when people use this damn term. My priest was using it yesterday. And, and you know, and there's some things I could see his point on. And there were many things that I, I, I kind of just sat there and nodded my head because I was kind of just taking in everything that he was saying and what he was understanding. And I got to say, yeah, he's very, I got to honestly say, he's very misguided. Either misguided or purposely, you know, on a, you know, put on a specific pass, path. But he, he kept talking about democracy. No, we are not a democracy. And I told him, I said, we, and this is where I piped up. I said, no, we are not a democracy. And anybody who says that needs to be informed. We are a constitutional Republican form of government. A democracy leads us down to socialism, which eventually leads us down to communism and ultimately tyranny. We are not a democracy, and we need to take that damn word out of our mouth. 
Sorry, I should have probably put an explicit content label on this. I don't think damn's that bad of a word. All right. Jason, get back on track. All right. Now, this new form of government is known as a democracy, according to them, being in an established socialist and communist order under a new governor for America. Now, this act was instituted and established by transferring and or placing the office of Secretary of Treasury to that of the governor of the International Monetary Fund. Public Law 94-564, page 8, section HR 13955, reads in part, The U.S. Secretary of Treasury receives no compensation for representing the United States. Now, prior to 1913, most Americans owned clear, alloidal title to property free and clear of any liens and mortgages until the Federal Reserves Act of 1913. Now, just a little sidebar. I forgot what the website, but if you go on like Google or DuckDuckGo or Brave or wherever, like something, you know, this is a, a topic that doesn't get censored. But if you type in 1913 debt clock, like it tells you everything of like where everything should be at according to, you know, from 1913 on forward to present day, like the price of silver, where the real price of gold should be. Um, all of that, right? It's very interesting. Now, hypothecated or hypothecated, um, so the Federal Reserves Act of 1913, hypothecated, they have that in quotations. Let's see what that means because that is a very interesting word. Let me see if I can even, let's look this word up, hypothecated. Hypothecation is the practice where a debtor pledges collateral to secure a debt or as a condition precedent to the debt, or a third party pledges collateral for the debtor. A letter of hypothecation is the usual instrument for carrying out the pledge. A common example occurs when a debtor enters into a mortgage agreement in which the debtor's house becomes collateral until the mortgage loan is paid off. There you go. Now, all property within the federal United States to the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve in which the trustees or the stockholders held legal title. Now, the U.S. citizen, also known as a tenant or a franchisee, was registered as a beneficiary of the trust via his or her birth certificate. Now, in 1933, the federal United States hypothecated all of the present and future properties, assets, and labor of their subjects, the 14th Amendment, U.S. citizen to the Federal Reserve System. Now, in return, the Federal Reserve System agreed to extend the Federal United States Corporation all of the credit money substituted if needed. Like any debtor, the Federal United States government had to assign collateral and security to their creditors as a condition of the loan. So since the Federal United States didn't have any assets, they assign the prop private property of their economic slaves, which is us, the United States citizens, as collateral against the federal debt. They also pledged the unincorporated federal territories, national parks, forests, birth certificates, and nonprofit organizations as collateral against the federal debt. All has already been transferred as payment to the international bankers. 
Now, unwittingly, America has returned to its pre-American Revolution uh, feudal roots, whereby all land is held by a sovereign and the common people had no right to hold a loyal title to property. Now, once again, we the people are the tenants and sharecroppers renting our property from a sovereign in the guise of the Federal Reserve Bank. We the people have exchanged one master for another, ultimately. So like in 1944, Washington, D.C. was actually deeded to the IMF. Now, I already mentioned this before, which is by the Bretton Woods, you know, by the Bretton Woods Agreement. Now, the IMF is made up of wealthy people that own most of the banking industries of the world. It is an organized group of bankers that have taken control of most governments of the world so that the bankers run the world. And Congress, the IRS, and the president work for the IMF. The IRS is not a U.S. government agency. It is an agent agency of the IMF. And diversified metal products versus IRS and others. In public law 94-564, Senate report 94, let's see here. That's all a bunch of mumble jumble. I'm not going to get into that. But here's the thing. The IRS is not a government agency. It's an agency of the IMF. But Jason, how, how are we able to repair this country then? You, did you not hear the, you know, the Power of the Assemblies podcast the other day? The Supreme Court had said the de jure government office still exists, but the people have failed to occupy them. We are occupying them in the assembly now. And we're doing it in term, but we have to occupy all those seats. Now, if you remember the Downs versus Bidwell case and the dissenting opinion of Justice Marshall Harlan, he said that two national governments exist, one to be maintained under the Constitution with all its restrictions this is one that we, the people, need to force our elected public officials to occupy. That's the de jure rule. And this goes for anybody out there that's running for a public office. Let me reread this for a quick minute. Justice Marshall Hall Harlan said that two national governments exist, one to be maintained under the Constitution with all its restrictions. That's the one that we, the people, need to force our elected public officials to occupy. That one. That's de jure rule. So if you're running for you know, local offices, you're going to be under de jure rule. If you're running for governor or state senate or state whatever, you need to be under de jure rule. You need to be taking your orders from we, the people, in assembly. If you're running for a president, all right. And I'm going to tell you right now, President Trump, he's still president. And yes, he is having to listen to us. You won't get that in the news. You won't get that from other podcasters. He has to listen to us. Make no mistake. If you're running for a public office, you have to listen to the assembly of people. And that is exactly what we have. Now, we need to change that by organizing the grand juries and putting our officials back under the de jure rule. 
and out of corporate or military rule that they are currently operating under. Now, our elected officials will then have to operate then under the limits of their oath of office to uphold the U.S. and state constitution circa 1860. When they violate the oath, it is a capital crime. The reason we go back to 1860, if you're not familiar, is because that is the last time we had lawful laws in this country. We've been literally a lawless country since 1861, the present day. But from where do the people get their power to convene a grand jury? Well, take a look at the Magna Carta from 1215. Our founding fathers looked back to history for precedent when they decided they wanted to change their government. What they found was the Magna Carta Liberatum, the Great Charter of Freedoms, it set a precedent that changed the face of England forever by establishing that the king was not above the law. King John of England signed the Magna Carta after immense pressure from the church and his barons, the people. And the king often lived above the law, violating both feudal, 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 excuse me, and common law, and was heavily criticized for his foreign policy and actions in England. Now, the barons, with, with the support of the church, pressured King John to spell out a list of their rights and guarantee that those rights would be enforced. Now, the barons provided a draft, and after some negotiation, King John put his seal to the Magna Carta in Runnymede in June of 1215. Now, Section 61 sets rules for establishing the grand jury. It states, since we have granted all these things for God, for the better ordering of our kingdom, and to ally the discord that has arisen between us and our barons, known as the people, and since we desire that they shall be enjoyed in their entirety with lasting strength forever, we give and grant to the barons the following security. The barons shall elect 25 of their number to keep and cause to be observed with all their might, the peace and liberties granted and confirmed to them by this charter. If we, our chief justice, our officials, or any of our servants, offend in any respect against any man or transgress any of the articles of the peace or of this security, the offense is made known to four of the said 25 barons, they shall come to us. Hmm. Very interesting. And I'm noticing I'm approaching 55 minutes here. I don't want to go too much longer. But this is very interesting, ladies and gentlemen. Do you see what's happening here? We need to get back. We need to get these seats seated back under the jure, you know, common law, under the de jure order. All right. There's just no, no other way around it. There's no if ands or buts about it. And I was having, like I said, with the conversation I was having with my priest yesterday about all this. 
it was interesting because like from some of the things he was saying, I could see both sides. And actually, believe it or not, from what he was saying, based on his own understanding, and again, we're only talking one man, a priest, right? He's like at the bottom, I don't want to say the bottom of the food chain, but really he's the bottom of the food chain when it comes to, you know, everything going from the Pope and bishops and cardinals on down, right? And so on one hand, he what he was saying almost parallels what we in assembly believe, believe it or not. And again, I don't want to go into detail because we have a time crunch here. But, you know, there are things that he was saying that actually ran parallel with the assembly of people. He's a Catholic priest. It's like, okay, that's cool. But then, like I said, there were other things that he discussed that I was like, "Mm -mm." like I told my wife last night, I was like, I just don't. I said, there's some things that he said that just did not resonate with me. And again, that doesn't make him a bad person. Or a bad man. Or a bad priest for that matter. I think he's a great priest. He actually does really awesome homilies. I always enjoy his homilies. It's just at this moment. And he knew. He, I told him. I said, if I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to be very transparent and, and, and honest with you. I had, you know, because he knows I haven't been to church. My wife still likes it and gets, you know, she gets fulfillment in her soul. And it, it fills her heart. And I'm happy it does. And as long as it fills her heart, then I'm in all support for her to go to the church. For me, my heart has been getting filled by digging deep in my Bible. I read it daily. And that is one thing my priest was saying to me. He goes, I'm so happy you're digging into your scriptures, like, furthermore. Like, I'm so happy that you're doing that. I hope and pray that you come back to the church and come back to Mass. And I may, you know. I'm not fully subscribed to everything in the Catholic Church because, you know, again, everything that I've been learning, it's hard for me, in, in all honesty, it's hard for me to really subscribe to a lot of the things that uh, that come down from the Vatican on, you know, and trickles on down to the church. However, at the end of the day, like Jesus said, where two or three or more gathered, I am present, basically, right? And again, just a little paraphrase, but that's ultimately what he says. And and when I do go back to mass, and I will, I want it's for the it's it's for the sake of being around fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But I, like I told my priest, I said, I'm not going to blindly follow a faith, which is why I'm reading and I'm researching and I'm poking holes because I want to understand. And he, and he even said, no, please don't b- follow blindly. I'm glad you're doing this. And I told him, I said, I'd like to have another dinner scheduled and have you come over again so we can continue our conversation because I found it very, I don't want to say enlightening because I didn't, I mean, there were some things that were enlightening, but not really, but to kind of gather more understanding about like what he's, his teaching is like, I want to gather all sides because I try to look at things very objectively and not one sided. Like I used to, it's very important that we look at all sides. But again, what I have gathered last night, some of the things he was saying and some of the things that I have learned from the assemblies, they run parallel to each other. Like, I think there's more commonality there in our, what do I want to say in our, I guess our personal um, what am I trying to say, Jason? Think. Come on, McFly. There seems to be... There, well, I'll just say this, because for some reason words are fleeting my mind right now. There seems to be more commonalities in some respects than we even realize with regards to how we look at authority and freedom and, and so on and so forth. But then there are some major differences, too. 
like when we were talking about the authority, because then I was talking about like, well, yeah, you say that you are granted authority by, you know, the, um, you know, people above you from the diocese and from the Pope and whatever else, bishops, cardinals to have authority over this land from this point geographically to Lake Michigan to, you know, this point and to this point and all souls in that area. You know, he was saying like he kind of put it in comparison to like a parent, right? Like you're, you know, you have authority like as a parent would to a child, right? Like you have authority over your child to protect them, to guide them, right? To bless them, right? And he was like, even as a parent, you have the power to bless them or curse them. And no matter what that child is or becomes, you're still going to love them, right? Gay, straight indifferent or other right you know no matter what you're gonna love your child well just like he, what he was saying and i see his point he worded he worded it kind of wonky but i see his point he was saying all this territory here to this particular church that he runs he's like yeah i so i have authority over all these souls and i'm like huh He's like, well, again, just like a parent with a child, like even non-Catholic souls, like I pray for all of those souls. I want them to be guided by God. I want them to all have Christ rooted in their heart. I said, well, I see that. It's just when you say that you have authority over all the souls in this territory, I said, I I, I still take issue with that. Like, I get what you're saying, because it's like you're talking from a parent to a child relationship standpoint. But many others out there would look at that and be like, you don't have authority over me. I mean, because that's almost something like that's why we don't have kings and queens in this nation, even though they, they take the form of freaking senators and congressmen and whatever else there in D.C. But that's one of the reasons we should not have kings and queens and princes and dukes and duchesses and whatever else. All men are created equal. And yes, I understand. And I told him, I said, I understand that you know, you have the, the label as a priest, you know, father so-and-so, right? I'm not going to say his name. There's only so many of those in the state of Michigan. But here's the thing. Like, that isn't taken lightly by saying you have authority over all souls because there also is a thing called free will that God gave us in consent. Let's not forget. And he's like, well, that's true. And so we kept going back and forth. And again, we're reaching, we're already at a minute and two, or an hour and two minutes. We're going to wrap this up. But at the end of the day, maybe I can elaborate more on that conversation later, but the end of the day it was a good conversation it was actually a light conversation in fact my wife had so much anxiety because she knows how i can get and you know i used to be very argumentative but i try not to do that anymore because that gets nowhere when you raise your voice and you know you want to pour out all your facts like a freaking fire hydrant in someone's face well that doesn't know that does no good when you do that because it's not going to get received it's just going to blow their skin off and 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 basically sandblast them down to their bone that does no good. That is not how we win hearts and minds. How we win hearts and minds is by having good, reasonable, logical conversations. And and it's okay to disagree. So long you do it respectfully. So anyway, that's all I have for today. Let's close this out with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for this day. And we pray and say thank you for our good health and another day of life and giving us breath in our lungs that gets us up out of bed and moving around and to accomplish the things that you want us to accomplish. Father, we pray that you guide us each and every day in our thoughts, in our words, in our intentions, in everything else that we do in life. And we thank you so very much for all that you have placed us, you know, for the path that you have placed all of us on. 
Give us our directives. Give us our orders. Guide us so we may walk in accordance to your will and do your works. I pray all this in your Holy Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. That's all I have for you today. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for the day. That concludes our discussion. Remember, remember, it's all about being firm, steadfast, and uncompromising. Our job here is to expand the kingdom of our Heavenly Father. His Heartline, and don't forget to visit us at www.hisheartline.com. Until then or the next time, we'll see you then.